All right, Genesis chapter 26, we are in the 45th message, number 45 here in Genesis. And uh, the title of my message tonight is just simply this, Fear Not. Fear Not. You ever been afraid in your life? You ever had fears overcome you? You ever wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety attacks about something and just like fear grips you of what on earth are we going to do? You ever done that? Yeah. It's one of the most debilitating things in our life at times. It really is. Everyone has different fears. And uh, psychologists, they call them phobias. There are many phobias we have in life. I can't really tell you how many things are classified as a phobia. There are multitudes of them. But I did look at a list of the top 100, just the top 100, phobias. And I noticed a few interesting ones I'd like to give you tonight. I think you'll enjoy these. You might, you might know these. The number one phobia, you probably know what this one is. Arachnophobia. The fear of spiders. Amen. That thing can be microscopic, and let me tell you, if it gets close to me, it will not have the guts to do it again. (laughs) They will be everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like spiders. I was getting ready to pull, so we had a stack of rocks behind our house when we lived in Marionville. I was getting ready to move these rocks, and I thought, for some reason, some stroke of brilliance came over me, and I thought, I better get a shovel and move these real quick. And this little black widow was sitting under there, that little red hourglass thing. I smashed the tar out of that thing. I was probably out of fear. I mean, I just, I, I decimated that. There was nothing left of it. I, I don't like them. So I'll go ahead with the one, number one, arachnophobia. Some people keep them as pets. Is that not weird? Yeah, we know somebody, friends of ours, their son, he loved, Clint, loves spiders. And he had this big tarantula in his pocket. He was about, I don't know how old he was, too old to be doing this still. And uh, our son-in-law walked up and said, hey, Clint, how you doing? Popped him on the chest and smashed his spider. <laughs> Poor kid. Man, he loved this thing, too. Oh, he had to go home and bury it, I think. That was a bad day. That's what you get for putting up a spider. Now, I'd put a snake in my pocket. That's okay. They get in there, they'll hide, they think they're okay, you know. Not a spider, no. Here's another one. Electrophobia. 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 <laughs> People have this. It's number 17 on the list. The fear of chickens. Yeah. The fear of chickens. You're afraid of chickens? Oh. You respect them, oh my word. <laughs> I eat them. Yeah. Here's another. This is, this is a blessing. Number 32. Aleurophobia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing them right. It doesn't matter. Aleurophobia is the fear of cats. You knew it. Now, I'm not afraid of them. I just don't really care for them. Although, can you believe this? Yesterday, I rescued a kitten. We're at our daughter's house, and Theo, being the brilliant three-year-old he is, took his skateboard and set it right on the cat. And I'm looking out the sliding glass window, things up against the sliding glass window. He just crams the thing right on the cat, and I'm like, no! And I'm like running out, open the door. 
And I'm like, I re- didn't I say, why am I doing this? I'm rescuing a cat, but it was a kitten. You know, he did, yeah, you know. Anyway, another year I would have let him do it. But anyway, the fear of cats. Here's number 51, anatidaphobia. Kind of goes along with the fear of chickens. It's fear of ducks. Fear of ducks, okay? I love this one. Number 26, I can't even pronounce this. Hippopotomonstrosquipped aleophobia. This is, and this is true. This is real. It's the fear of long words. Go look it up. The fear of long words. And I think the most popular phobia of this generation, I don't mean to get on all millennials. What's the, what's the latest generation? Not millennials. What are they? Gen, Gen Z? Generation Z? We've got to be close to Jesus coming. We're running out of things to call the generations. You know, we're at Z now. Something like that. Ergophobia. Ergophobia. That is the fear of work. Are we there? Yeah, a lot of people afraid of work. Uh, Now, you know, some of these sound really crazy, but we do live in a world of fear, don't we? We absolutely do. But what does the Bible say about fear? Well, I'm going to look at that tonight. We are all going to look at that tonight on the subject of fear not. Should Christians have phobias? Should we really have phobias? Maybe that's not the right question. Maybe the best question is, should we fear? Are there things to fear? So now I want to look at this tonight. And if you notice in verse uh, or chapter 26, we're going to go through the entire chapter here. shouldn't take too long, I hope. And uh, in chapter 26 opens with Isaac in Canaan. And a famine coming into the land. And it's amazing how God uses famines in our life. And how He used them in the life of His children. And in verse 1 we see this, And there was a famine in the land, Beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham, And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, Unto Gerar. Now many surmise, if you remember, Abraham went to Abimelech as well. But, When Abraham went to Abimelech, this was probably years and years and years ago, and we do not believe that this was the same Abimelech as the one that Abraham went to. This was probably could have been either a family name or more of a title. I don't know. But this was also this man here, this king of the Philistines in Gerar, was also called Abimelech. And in in verse 2, God appears to Isaac. And he says this, The Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt, dwell into the land which I shall tell thee of, sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all the countries, and I will perform the oaths which I swear unto Abraham thy father. So God was well aware of the famine, and God gave instructions of what um, Isaac is to do. And the first instruction is, don't go down to Egypt. Egypt is always a type of the world. Egypt is always a type of the old life that we were saved out of. And how often do we as Christians fall into the uh, times of trouble and times of famine in our life and we find ourselves running to the world for help? Running to, running to the, maybe to things that we did in the old life, 
before Christ, and it's just maybe second nature, we go back to those things when trials and tribulations and famines come into our life. And God says, don't go to Egypt. Stay right where you are. Stay in Gerar. Stay in the the land of the Philistines. Why Isaac had something he needed to learn here. Can I tell you, before it's time to run off, it might be a time for God to teach you something. Don't be so quickly, don't be so quick to move. You know when God's ready to move you. You know when God when God says it's His time to move. And there are times in our life when we move and God says, no, you, I didn't want you to move. And though, although it may be a time of famine, though it may be an uncomfortable time, or a time that we didn't ask for, God has something to teach us during those times that we need to sit still and listen. So he tells them to stay in Gerar. And then number three, God ends up establishing his covenant with Isaac. Look at, look at verses three through five. He says, he tells them to sojourn in the land and I will be with thee. This is a promise. Listen, look at the rest of the promises. I will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give unto these countries, and will perform the oaths which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all the countries, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that Abraham obeyed my voice, and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, And my law. So God told Isaac, if you stay in Gerar, I will be with thee. I will bless thee. I, unto your seed, and uh, I am going to give all of the surrounding countries. I'm going to, I will perform the oath that I swear unto Abraham your father. I will do it. I'll make your seed, notice this, singular. Same thing he said to Abraham, singular seed unto thy seed. What is that seed? It was going to be the Messiah. That was coming. He said unto thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven. I'm going to give unto thy seed all of the surrounding countries. And in thy seed all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Notice this. God tells Isaac what he's going to do. But notice also in verse 5. God brings up Abraham. I think this is, a, uh, this is a, uh, quite interesting. This covenant with Isaac is possible. Let's not miss this. It's possible because of the obedience of his father, Abraham. Isaac is enjoying the promises of God because of Abraham. Because Abraham obeyed God. Are you following this? Do you know that we have promises because of the obedience of somebody before us as well? You see where this is going? In John 4, 34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. In John 6, 38, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him that sent me. In Matthew 26 and 42, Jesus was praying in the garden, if you remember, and he went away, the Bible says the second time, and he prayed saying, O Father, O Father, If this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And at the baptism of John, they're at Jesus. John came to Jesus and said, I have need to be baptized, to be baptized. And John said, I have need to be baptized of thee. 
And Jesus says, no, we must fulfill all righteousness. And John baptized Jesus. And as Jesus was standing in the water there after being baptized, the Bible says that the Father who was in heaven spoke and the Holy Spirit of God was descending. And Jesus was in the water for those uh, Trinity rejectors. It's called the Godhead. Evident right there at the baptism of Jesus. The Father was speaking. The Spirit was descending. Jesus was in the water. And you know what the voice of the Father said? This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. And the Father said, you're going to listen to Him. I told a man yesterday, on we went to visit. Salvation through the Old Testament and the New Testament has not changed. It has always been obedience to the voice of God in every dispensation. And here the Father says, I'm so pleased with Jesus. Listen to what He says. And what did He say? To Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born again. Matthew 17, 5, While He yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. Do you realize Jesus accomplished the will of the Father? And all of the promises that we have tonight are because of and in Jesus Christ. All of the promises we have tonight are because of the obedience and the work of somebody who came before us and fulfilled the will of the Father. And the only one who could have fulfilled it because He was very God. Was He not? Are you awake tonight? Are you alive? Hello? Is that a good amen? Jesus is God. That's a great amen right there. Do you know the cults deny that? Do you know that is a sticking point of every cult on this planet? They reject the deity of Jesus Christ. You know what the Father said in Hebrews 1? Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is thy kingdom. The Father called Him God. We can go on and on through the Word of God. Jesus Christ fulfilled the will of the Father, and we are living in promises tonight because of what somebody else did. And so too the promises of Isaac were available because of the obedience of Abraham. You see that? So verse 6, Isaac believes God and he obeys Him. Look at verse 6. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. What's he doing? Well, what God told him to do. Pretty simple. He did not go down into Egypt. But fear is going to come over Isaac. Fear is coming over him. Look at verse 7. And the men of the place asked him of his wife. Uh-oh. Sound familiar? Abraham marries a looker, and so does Isaac. <laughs> Look what it says here. Uh, and he said, She is my sister. For he feared to say, She is my wife, left, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was, the Bible puts it so nicely, fair to look upon. She was an attractive woman. So attractive that Isaac was afraid he was going to get killed and somebody else was going to take his wife. So he tells her, Just tell him, You're my sister. I wonder. I wonder if he came up with this all on his own or if sitting around the home place he heard the stories of Abraham, his father, and Rebecca, and, uh, and uh, Sarah, not Rebecca, and Sarah. And maybe they heard about this. Maybe it came to his mind. Oh, 
Maybe it was just second nature. Maybe it was DNA. I don't know. But he has fear, and like his father Abraham, he was so afraid of the people he, he was living with that he concocted this lie to keep him safe from harm. Notice here now what fear produces. Look at this. Fear disregards truth. God already made promises to Isaac here. And fear disregarded all of the promises that God had made. Fear focuses upon self. Do you notice when fear comes in your life, you become so self-absorbed that nothing else matters? Nobody else's needs matter. Nobody else's problem. It's all about you. Not how it affects anybody around you, but how it affects me and me alone. And so this fear in Isaac's life turned his focus upon himself. I might die. Rebecca, okay, she'll be fine if some other guy comes and takes her away and marries her, but I might die. It turned totally inward. But notice what else fear produces. It produces sin. Isaac lied. He concocted a story, and he ended up not just saying a lie, he ended up living a lie. And they lived that lie for a while. And fear also produces a remedy in human, a, a remedy of human reasoning. Let me say it that way. Isaac never asked God what to do. Wait a minute. God told him to stay there, and he gave him promises. So let's use the, you know, the analytical deductive reasoning here. If God told me to stay in this place and He gave me promises that would be a blessing to nations after me and Rebecca and I do not have... Uh, well, we, yeah, they have a... I'm trying to think when they have the kid. When the kids come, come in place here, did I miss them? We already, yeah, we already got kids. But the promises are made here and He needs a, a lineage here for the promises. Deductive reasoning comes to tell us we're okay. Everything's going to be fine. You know, God will figure this out. God will deal with this. But He doesn't do that, and His remedy is purely human reasoning. And it is amazing in my life, and I believe in your life, how normal the normal reaction to fear in our life is to turn away from God and to turn to something tangible, something we can see. You see what we do? We leave the faith life and we go back to the sight life. We leave what we get saved into and we go back to what we got saved out of. And we see this all through our life. Finances become a trouble and we turn to credit cards. I'm not pulling a Dave Ramsey on here and telling you all credit cards are evil. I think there's a wonderful benefit to not having any credit cards. But uh, there are those people out there that they're fine with them. The problem is when fear comes in your life and, and you're in a place of famine, where do you turn? That's the issue. Do you turn to, to the God who has promised to provide all of our needs? Or do we call up the banker? Or the loan shark, however bad the situation is. I don't know. I think loan sharks are actually getting cheaper interest rates than credit cards right now. So, besides a few broken legs, if you miss a payment, it might be cheaper to go with the... No. Now, I'm just teasing. 
What about when the fear comes? When your children begin to walk away from God? And you go, oh! Yeah. Do you, turn to, do you turn to psychology? To try to rein them back in? Do you turn to worldly wisdom? I had somebody say one time, well, um, I don't want the kids to rebel. <laughs> so they removed rules. Uh, okay. <laughs> now, now think of this through now. No rules. Yay, my kids don't rebel. Of course, because there's no rules. We were, <laughs> come on. Human reasoning. No, that's not how we're to react to, to, to fear. What about losing a job? I'm so afraid of losing my job that maybe we agree to ignore biblical truth rather than to believe that God could provide another one. No, this is what we do when fear comes into our life. I know a man, we have a friend of the family back in Aurora, that uh, Missouri, not Colorado or Illinois, the right one, Missouri, that, that uh, he worked at Ramey's Supermarket. Remember Ramey's? When they, is there Ramey's still? Is there one left in Springfield, I think? Maybe. Anyway, there is Ramey's. He worked at Ramey's for quite a long time. And I think I've told you this story, but Ramey started selling liquor. And you know what Randy did? He immediately went to the manager and he quit. He wasn't going to work in a store that sold liquor. Went and got a job at Walmart, retired from there eventually. 35 years later, they eventually started selling liquor as every other store in town did. He didn't have a choice. But when he had a choice, he said, God will give me another job. I'm not selling liquor. Boy, that's a bygone era, huh? (laughs) Yeah, I better not go down that road. Right. What's your reaction to fear? When we, you know, when we succumb to fear, the natural human tendency is to walk away from the promises of God and listening and begin to listen, I'm sorry, to human reasoning. And this is what happened to Isaac. This is what he did right here. But thankfully, God intervened. Now, I'm not going to read through these verses 7 through 11. You can go ahead and read through them one time. Let me just say it this way. Isaac and Rebekah were not living like brother and sister, and Abimelech saw it. He noticed. And he said, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't think you're a brother and sister. (laughs) So he brings Isaac in in verse 10, and he confronts him. And listen to verse 10. And Abimelech said, what is this thou hast done unto us? One of the people might have lightly have lined with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. Now notice this, of this, quote, ungodly uh, uh, land of the Philistines. This king was concerned that if somebody had taken Isaac's wife and taken him as his own wife, that they would have brought guiltiness upon them. Here Abimelech was concerned about having sin in their land. Interesting, isn't it? And you know what Isaac was doing? The one with the, the son of Abraham the pro, under the promises of God? Lying because of fear to protect himself. Yeah. But no, don't miss this either, please. Fear produces breaches in relationships. Abimelech was pretty upset about this. It's kind of like, what did you think of me? What did you really? Did you, what, uh, what kind of an individual did you really think I was? 
that you had to lie to me. It produces breaches in relationships. And we see this in, that Isaac lied to Abimelech. But notice verse 11. Abimelech went ahead and made a decree with Isaac. And he says this, And Abimelech char- charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You're a dead man if you touch Isaac or his wife. Boy, I wonder if Isaac wished that he had done that from the beginning. It would have made life a little easier, a little less fear, right? No, remember, God's teaching Isaac something here. This is a valley that God has left him in. This is a famine that God has left Isaac here and told him to stay here. So Abimelech makes the decree, and then in verses 18 through 22, Isaac begins digging the wells that his father Abraham had dug in the past were filled up. That's a whole other message. I don't know if we'll even deal with that. But in verse 23, God meets Isaac at Beersheba. Look at verse 23. And when he went up from thence to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared unto him the same night, And he said, I am the God of Abraham thy father, fear not, for I am with thee and will bless thee and multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. Did you see what God opened with here in verse 23? I don't know how much time uh, Isaac had spent here after this whole incident digging wells. Right? I don't know how long he spent here, but eventually God came to him. You ever had that in your life? Get into an area of sin, and it's dealt with. And then maybe months or years later, hopefully months, God comes to you about it, and He makes you deal with it. You remember that? You ever have those times? Oh, my, I remember one time on visitation. I think I may have told this. But uh, I was going through an apartment complex The they had been at the church before. They had visited the church up in Springfield. And I knocked on the door, and I could hear them in there. I knew they were there. They would not come to the door. And I'm looking at this card, and in my, my righteous, quote, righteous indignation, I thought, you know what? They've had their chance. <laughs> Knock the dust off the shoes, and here we go, right? And I left. I didn't put anything on the door or anything. I just left. Felt pretty good about myself, too. I was righteously angry. That Monday I was in my shop working and God came to me and I began thinking of that. I was thinking of it. I was actually kind of like, oh yeah, uh I told them. You know what God said to me while I was sitting there? How long did I pursue you? Yeah. I had to think about that one for a while. You know what else I believe what the Holy Spirit told me that day? Who are you to decide when I stop drawing someone? Yeah. No, God dealt with me that Monday while I was minding my business, quite pleased with myself, with my, my righteous indignation, working away, and God came. He does that, doesn't he? And this is what he's doing here with Isaac, right here. He's dealing, he's going to deal with Isaac on a one-on-one basis. Why? Because he has a relationship with the living God, as do you and I. God will deal with you and he deals with me as well. But he's dealing with Isaac here. And the first thing that he opens with, notice this, I am the God of thy father Abraham. I'm God. 
That's what he opens with. <laughs> you're, you're talking to the head. Over everything, I'm God. And I'm the God of thy father Abraham. Isaac knew the promises of God. God even told him the promises with, that he made with him. But he knew the promises that God had made with Abraham. Hello, Isaac was the one laying on the altar when the knife was coming down. I think he understood the relationship that Abraham, his father, had with God. (laughs) Yep. And look what God follows that with. I'm the God of thy father Abraham. Isaac, you know my promises. And I've even made promises to you. And look what he says. Fear not. Fear not. Why? He follows it up. For I'm with thee. I will bless thee. I will multiply thy seed. I will do it for Abraham. Do you know God just simply restates, is simply restating the promises that he has made with him when the famine first came? Now, I don't know how much time elapsed here between the time that he, the famine and where he was there in Gerar and to this time when God is dealing with him. I don't know how much time has elapsed. A year, two, three, I don't know. But what God is doing here to assuage the fears that Isaac is having, what he's doing is restating the promises. I marvel at times at the patience and the long-suffering and the gentleness of our God who knows our frame and that we are but dust. And He comes to us over and over and over. How many, often, how many times does He remind us and remind us of who He is and His promises to us. He's so patient with us. And He tells Isaac, don't fear. Now turn your attention again to the last line of verse 24. He says, fear not, Isaac. I'm with thee. I'll bless thee. I'll multiply thy seed. I tell you, I got excited over this. He says, and multiply thy seed. Look at this. For my servant Abraham's sake. For thy servant Abraham's sake. Now, I really don't want us to miss this. The original covenant was with Abraham. God is solidifying here with Isaac how sure His promises are, how unchangeable His promises are, and that they are set in stone. He has spoken them. There's nothing you can do about them. And He does that by saying saying this, I will multiply thy seed for my servant Abraham's sake. Not for your sake, Isaac, for Abraham's sake. Why is that good news? Well, that's great news because the covenant was made with Abraham and Abraham is now dead. He's off the scene. You say, why is that good news? Because now there's nothing that Abraham can do to mess up the covenant. The covenant was with Abraham. He's gone. He's not living in a human body that can mess it all up anywhere. It's settled. This is an awesome thought. The covenant with Isaac, watch this, is secure in Abraham who is dead and can do nothing to void the contract. But even greater than that, there's nothing that Abraham can do to mess it up. There was nothing he could do to mess it up anyway. You know why? Because you remember that that, that, the, the, the original contract was made between what? The smoking 
furnace and the burning lamp. God the Father and God the Son made the contract. There's nothing Abraham could do to mess it up anyway. But beyond this, it is set in stone. And the only thing that Isaac can do at this point, right here, the only thing that Isaac can do is to reject the contract that's already in force. That's all he can do. This contract is set. There is at, listen, here's what God said. Let me say it this way. Isaac, there is absolutely nothing to fear. The promise is settled. No reason to fear at all. Wait, do you realize this is what Jesus did for us? This is what Jesus did. He fulfilled the will of the Father. We just looked at this a little bit ago. We see it again. I, I love it when people say Jesus isn't in the Old Testament. Oh, my goodness. He's the Word of God. He's all through it. But Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father. His blood was accepted and applied at the mercy seat. His blood is eternal, which makes His covenant eternal. He has lived and died and risen again. And there is nothing Jesus could do or would do to make the contract void. And watch this. Now all of our promises are in Christ. And the only thing that we can do right now is just reject them. But there's nothing we can do to alter the covenant of God. So let me ask you this. What on earth is there to fear? (laughs) Nothing. Nothing at all for the child of God. Nothing at all. And this is what God is telling Isaac right here. When he finally comes to him, when he finally deals with him, he says, Isaac, I made a covenant with your father Abraham. He's off the scene. There's nothing that can be done about it. It is secure and set. There's nothing to fear. I will bless you. I will be with you. You're going to be a blessing and your seed is going to be a blessing to all the nations. Why are you afraid? What can man do unto us? Kill us? Ouch. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What can they really do? Nothing. So God deals with Isaac and look at verse 25. Isaac builds an altar. And he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants digged a well. How many remember this phrase right here? And called upon the name of the Lord. Remember that in our study in Genesis, back in Genesis 12 and 13? Back in Genesis 12, beginning when Abraham was called out of the... The, uh, out of Haran, and he, and he came out from his father's house. And at this point, Abraham was sought by God. God sought out Abraham. Abraham responded. You know, the Bible says, we know that the eyes of the Lord seek to and fro upon the earth for man, that he might show that he could show himself mighty. I have wondered how many others beside Abraham did God approach that didn't respond with faith like Abraham. I don't know. Maybe God spent a hundred years approaching man after man after man after man that would not respond. And he came to Abraham and Abraham responded and believed him. Abraham believed God was counted for righteousness. He responded to God. God sought Abraham first. And, he came, then he, and God came to Abraham at Sychem in chapter 12. But it was at the, at the uh, altar of Bethel 
where it is said this phrase that Abraham called upon the name of the Lord. So what did that mean? Do you remember? I had to look it up. I didn't remember. (laughs) I preached it. I forgot what I preached this morning, so don't worry about it. God sought Abraham at Sychem, but Abraham began to seek God at Bethel. God wanted Abraham, but Bethel is where Abraham wanted God. The same phrase is used here of Isaac at Beersheba. God has been pursuing Isaac. He's been wooing him. He's been proving himself to him. He's been showing him the promises of God. But now, after the famine, after the mistakes, after the fear, after the lies, God approaches approaches Isaac and essentially says, Don't fear, Isaac. I've made a promise to you. You know what Isaac sees at the end of all of this? Isaac believes God. And now Isaac is pursuing God. That's what that means. He called upon the name of the Lord. God, just like his father, God, Father Abraham, God God initiated with Abraham. And finally at Bethel, Abraham began to seek God on his own. Abraham desired God. Same thing here with Isaac. God had been pursuing Isaac, and now Isaac has decided to pursue God. Do you know, I believe and I fear there are many Christians who come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God pursued them. They respond to the drawing of the Spirit of God. They believe the gospel. They have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have repentance towards God. They, have the, they are saved by the grace of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God. And it doesn't come till years later in their life that they actually begin to desire and pursue God on a whole other level and a whole relational level. Sometimes it takes a lot of famine in our life for God to prove, no, I'm with you. <laughs> I will be with you. God had pers- been pursuing Isaac, but now, verse 25, Isaac is pursuing God. So what's the conclusion of all of this? Why was, that, why was Isaac able to pursue God? Well, God brought Isaac through some valleys that brought fear into his life. God allowed this. God actually told him to stay there. Don't you think the all-knowing God knew what was coming? Do you, do you th- he did. And although Isaac already had the promises of God, he didn't quite believe them yet. You say, is that possible to be an unbelieving believer? Absolutely. There are many saved believers who are unbelievers. <laughs> Peter... Peter was an unbeliever. Yeah. Jesus said, I go to Jerusalem. No, you won't. I won't allow it to happen. Jesus turned and said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savest not the things of God. Peter said, I'll die with you. No, you won't, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before the, the, before the rooster crows. No, I won't. And the Bible says he turned and he looked at Jesus. And Jesus looked at him. And he went out and wept bitterly. You know one of the next things we read of Peter? He's preaching at Pentecost and 3,000 souls get saved. What happened in Peter's life? He finally believed God. 
Oh, don't, don't get too excited, Peter. We struggle with the same thing. Being saved unbelievers in many aspects of our life. And although Isaac already had the promises of God, he didn't quite believe them yet. And it was through the near disaster brought on by fear that Isaac once again was brought face to face with the faithfulness of God. You know what it did when he was brought back again by the patience and the loving care of God to God's faithfulness? You know what it did? It caused him now to desire God and to pursue Him. Let me ask you something tonight. I have a little bit of application, and then we're done. What are you afraid of tonight? Is there one thing in your life that is a recurring fear that God would tell you, fear not? Is it financial? Is it relational? Is it just getting older and not knowing what's coming. Fear. What are you afraid of tonight? Is there not enough evidence that God can be trusted? Father, once again, your word amazes me of its ability to hone right in at the root of problems, expose them, and give us the answer and the remedy. I just talked with you earlier this afternoon about this very subject of fear in my own life. While reading over this chapter and even looking with introspect within my own heart and life, the fears that are so readily uh, visible and active in my life. And how you reminded me as well to fear not. So Father, I'm asking you tonight that you'd work in the hearts of your people. And if there's anybody in here, there's anyone here tonight that is struggling with some fears in their life, God, that they would return to you once again tonight. And just nail it down that they're going to trust you. You're aware of everything going on. You can be trusted. And there's absolutely no reason whatsoever to fear. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand tonight if you would.